Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. The title for today is Eyes Wide Open. Eyes Wide Open, Mark 8, 27 to 30. And I was, as I was getting this ready this week, I was reading the news and I saw a very interesting thing on Eyes Wide Open. It, the headline on the news was, Accidental Awareness During Anesthesia May Have Long-Term Impact. Is, uh, has this anybody ever happened to anybody here waking up during uh, surgery? It, I guess it's pretty recent, actually, but uh, not recent, not as rare as they thought. They said it is rare, but it's worrying because there's a possibility of regaining consciousness before an operation is over. It's called accidental awareness during general anesthesia, AAGA. We've got a name for everything, right? It's feared by both patients and the anesthesiologist. Uh, the study shows that it's, it's, it's not... It's not common, but it's, it's not as rare as they would hope to make it. They don't want it ever to happen. And it's when you become aware of your surroundings during surgery or after you've got your anesthesia. It could be before, after, before they want you to wake up. Most episodes of accidental awareness are brief. I've actually had it happen to me, and it was no big deal. Uh, it occurred before or after surgery, but unfortunately, half of the episodes of this, of the AAGA, whatever it's called, lead to serious distress and 41% are ca caused much longer term psychological harm to the patients because they reported feeling that extreme fear and panic. Some patients reported feeling physical sensations that included tugging, stitching, pain, paralysis, choking. That's called what, you know, they're feeling the operating, right, on them. They suffered, uh, some have suffered long term post traumatic stress disorder. One patient that they interviewed said, I could hear voices around me and I realized with horror that I'd woke up in the middle of the operation but I couldn't move a muscle because part of the, the anesthesia, part of the drugs they give you is to, to freeze you, right? They don't want you moving muscles. And so she reported suffering nightmares for more than 15 years. Can you imagine that happening? Pretty scary, right? But what happened here, we're going to see happen to the apostles. Not physically, but spiritually. It happens to the apostles. But unlike these people that were, that were traumatized by it, what happened to the apostles was actually a positive thing. Because we are all in a spiritual zombie state, right? We're all, we're all like walking, you know, sleeping and walking in our sleep. We're spiritually asleep. Every one of us, we're blind. Our eyes have been closed by sin, by the world, by Satan, by the flesh, been closed, and they all need to be open. And although it was very negative for these people to have their eyes open you know, during surgery, God has to open every one of our eyes. The Holy Spirit has to open our eyes so that we wake up spiritually and see the truth of Jesus Christ. Now, we've already seen... Jesus heal a blind man. We've been talking, we're working through Mark here. We saw him heal a blind man and how it was a process. Remember that? The process of the healing and how we talked about each one of us have to go, a he go through a healing process, not just to come to Christ, but then after we become a Christian, we, there's so many things, emotional, physical, mental, things that need healing too, and more spiritual things that need healing. And it's a long, slow process, okay? And then we looked at some parallel 
passages that also, not, not necessarily the same healing, but also other healings that were kind of similar. We looked at John chapter 5 when Jesus healed the swimmer. Remember that one? And then we looked at John chapter 9 when he, there was a steps to sight. And if you miss those, get, get the CDs or else go on the podcast and listen because it all flows together. And really some powerful, powerful passages. John chapter 5, John chapter 9. Powerful how God heals us slowly. Lifetime of healing and that process and, and how our eyes are open and, and we're healed. Very, very powerful passages. I want to encourage you to, to listen to those. But now we're going to see how he opens the eyes of the apostles, which has also been a process. Remember back, uh, first of all, a little bit earlier in, in Mark, we saw how he healed the deaf mute guy, and then he feeds the 4,000, and the apostles didn't get it, right? They were blind to what Jesus was doing. They just didn't get who he was. Then he heals a blind guy through a process right after that. They still weren't getting it, but now... He opens the apostles' eyes. We're going to see him opening their eyes. He completes the process. There's no accident how Mark, through the Holy Spirit's leading, put this together. This guy's healed through a process, and now Jesus heals the apostles' eyes spiritually, completes the process. And I hope that by seeing how their eyes are open, our eyes will also be completely opened after today to who Jesus is. Let's pray first. Father, we thank you for this Thanksgiving weekend. There's so many things that we're thankful for. We're thankful especially for your son, Jesus Christ. And I pray that each one of us, our eyes would be open to who he is and what he has done for us and that we could allow your healing to happen in our life, spiritual, emotional, physical, mental healings to happen in our life, Father. We pray for your mercy and grace in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's start with Mark chapter 8. We'll read the verses 27 to 30, the passage for today, where he says, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Now you can probably see why we dealt with John chapter 9 last week, right? Because it's very close. We talked about the process healing, but also uh, the process healing from John chapter 9 last week was very close to what we looked at a couple weeks ago, Mark 8, 22 to 26. But also the blind man. Remember the blind man last week, the steps to sight? Jesus was a man. He was a prophet. He was a superman. Then he came up to that he was a Lord. Very close to what the people were all saying at this time. And they're, they're walking by Caesarea Philippi. Back to verse 27 here. Caesarea Philippi was named after, guess who? Caesar, right? But Caesar Augustus and Herod Philip. Both of them. It was dedicated to the glory of Rome. All right? There was a marble temple dedicated to Augustus right there in Caesarea Philippi, where in Jesus' time they would offer sacrifices to Augustus as a god. Not the god, but a god. Lots of gods with Romans, right? Romans. And they would, when they offered the sacrifice to Caesar Augustus, they would say, Caesar is Lord. Now remember that. Caesar is Lord. Christians wouldn't do this later on. That's why they were persecuted. That's why they were lit up as human candles by the Romans because they wouldn't do it. They were fed to the lions. They wouldn't sacrifice to the gods of Rome, to the Caesars of Rome. 
And it's no accident that it is here in Caesarea Philippi where they offer the sacrifice to Augustus as Lord that Jesus decides to make the point that he is Lord. He's the, the Lord. And he asked the, the, the apostles, he says, who do the people say I am? And what do they say first? Some say John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist is already dead, right? So what, what's this all about? Well, remember King Herod. Remember, we looked at that in Mark chapter 6. Herod had murdered John the Baptist, and he was haunted by that murder. And he's a very superstitious guy. If you weren't here for that, grab the CD or listen to the, the podcast. It's very interesting what was going on in Herod's head here. But he had this bad conscience, superstition, and his superstitions had trickled down to the masses. The common man, like, think Elvis sightings, right? And so, the, so they had trickled down. And, in fact, it's interesting, and I'll just read Part of that, Mark chapter 6, in Mark chapter 6, verses 14 to 16, it says, King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said he is Elijah, and still others claimed he is a prophet like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, the man I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. So you see the three things the apostles bring up here in Mark chapter 8 are well known in the area that all these rumors are going around about Jesus. We see this happening, okay? But now back to Mark 8, 27 to 30. Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Elijah. This comes from what book in the Old Testament? Malachi. Malachi 4, verse 5. There's a prophecy in Malachi verse 4, verse 5, prophecy says, See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. Talking about the, the second coming, really, in the day of the Lord here. It's a great for us and going to be dreadful for those who don't know Christ. So there's both parts to it, great and dreadful. Depends on, on who you follow and who you believe in. Depends on who your Lord is, right? And so there's a prophecy, and the people knew this prophecy. There was a huge messianic expectation in Israel at this time. We've talked about this all the way through Mark. People were just waiting for the Messiah to come and throw off the Roman yoke and free them. And they were just waiting, waiting, waiting. And it was during, that's why they were waiting for Elijah to come. They knew Elijah was going to come back again to introduce the Messiah in the messianic age. Okay? We'll see that he does come. Next chapter, Mark chapter 9, we're going to see that he does come along with Moses. The Mount of the Transfiguration in Mark chapter 9. But it's interesting that Elijah never died, right? He never, uh, Elijah never died. That's one person. And Moses, he died, but his body was not taken. Satan tried to take his body, you know, the, you know the passage. He tried to take his body. It wasn't God kept his body from Satan. So perhaps it didn't see decay. We're not really sure what all that means, but we know that Satan didn't get the body. Uh, and both... Elijah, who never died, and Moses, whose body was not turned over to be decayed, right? Both of them appear on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus before the first coming. Interesting, huh? Also, it's very possible that they are the two witnesses in Revelation. Because we know before the second coming, there's going to be two supernatural witnesses that appear on the scene, and they're going to preach the gospel, Stand up to the Antichrist, finally be killed, and then while they're dead, they're going to be taken right up into heaven and right up right on CNN, you know, right, out, right in front of everybody. The whole world is going to see it. 
Right? We talked about it in the book of Revelation. And that's before the second coming. And it's very possible it could be Elijah and Moses. But it could be a third person. Who's the third person it could be? Someone else who didn't die. Enoch, right? Enoch, he didn't die. So it could possibly be Enoch. We're not, nobody, you can't be adamant about any things. But we do know Elijah, the prophecy, he comes before Jesus before the first coming, and I'm, I'm, I believe it's probably before the second one too. So, Elijah, the prophecy, they're waiting for, they, so they're thinking Jesus is possibly Elijah. But Elijah, like John the Baptist, was not the Messiah. They are the forerunners for the Messiah. That's what the prophets were too. Third thing they said is it could be a prophet. Jesus could be a prophet. In fact, in Luke 9, verse 19, one of the parallel passages on this, listen to what they said. Luke 9, 19. Oh, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. That's the full statement that the, the apostles made, that they came back to life. They, think, they were thinking that Jesus could be one of the prophets come back from the dead. But once again, they missed the point. The prophets all point to the Christ, the Messiah. They all prepare for the Christ, the Messiah. In fact, in 1 Peter 1, 10 to 11, it says this about the prophets. Peter writes, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, talking about Jesus coming, right? Who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Who, who was in the prophet speaking? It was the Spirit of Christ predicting when he was going to come and what was going to happen to him. That's how the prophets knew about the, the crucifixion, Isaiah 53. That's how they knew about the resurrection, all over the, all over the prophecies about the Messiah. Because Christ in them was preparing people for the Messiah. But what these people, all these rumors and what these people miss is that John the Baptist and Elijah and the prophets were just forerunners. They're just preparing. Jesus was the guy. Jesus is the Christ. And that's what they're all missing. So Jesus asks, what about you? Who do you say I am? Verse 29, but what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Jesus tells, says, don't tell anybody. Why? It's not the time. Remember the messianic secret that we've been talking about? It's not his time yet. Because once the truth is known, once his claim is public, the religious leaders are going to have him crucified. That's why in verse 31, right after that, and if you look in your Bible, verse 31, he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. That's why it wasn't his time. He knows what's going to happen. He's planned it. Jesus prophesied it hundreds and hundreds of years before it even happened. He prophesied it through his, his prophets. It's all part of the plan, but it's not time. Because once, it's, once this is known, once it happens, the clock starts ticking, okay? 
And uh, so he says, you are the Christ. He says, keep that secret for now. But I want to look at Matthew 16, 16 real quick, because it gives the full quote of Peter. Once again, each of the gospel writers has a different purpose. The Holy Spirit is speaking to different ones for different reasons. But if you put all their statements together, you see the full conversation that happened. In Matthew 16, 16, it says, Peter said, Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's a full statement. Christ and Son of God. Jesus knew that once this claim and the truth of this claim came out, once it was well known, he would be executed. They had already tried to kill him for claiming to be not really the Christ, but a divine Christ. To be Christ plus Son of God. They already tried to kill him for that. In fact, if we look at John chapter 10, very interesting, kind of shows you what he's already been facing and why he's keeping his claim secret and why he doesn't want the apostles to be quoted in the papers, right? To go on the news and to Twitter something about him. He doesn't want that to happen. And so he, uh, he look, look at what happened to him already. This is why. In John chapter 10, verse 30, he says... I and the Father are one. Woo! That's going to get the Pharisees' attention. <laughs> again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. Now, once again, Jews, the term in John for Jews is interchangeable with the religious leaders. It's not the Jewish people. Remember that. When you see the word Jews in John, it means the religious leaders, not the Jewish people. Jesus was a Jew. The apostles were Jews. The people he was healing were Jews. It's not talking about the Jewish people. It's a, a, a term used for the religious leaders. All right. So again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. And, but Jesus said to them, I have shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for the blasphemy because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Down to verse 36, he says, I'm going to jump down to 36. What about the one whom the Father has set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I have said I am God's son? I had a, one of my youth groupers one time came to me and said, I'm really, my faith is really shaken up. My college professor said that Jesus never claimed to be the son of God. It's something that was invented. He never claimed to be. It's nowhere in the Bible. I didn't know that. I said, I didn't know it either. And I showed her these verses. I said, I'm sure your college professor has never even read the Bible. Just got some twisted version you know, taught to him, and, and, and he's been taught to, to shred it. Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. He claimed it very clearly. His enemies all knew it, and that's why they ultimately crucified him, which was part of his plan. But back to this claim that Jesus is the Son of God. You see, it was fine if Jesus just claimed to be a good teacher. He was recognized by the Pharisees as a good teacher. It was good if he was, it was okay if he claimed to be a rabbi. Even a prophet they could have put up with. That was okay. But what really freaked out the Jewish religious leaders was his claim to be God's son. Because he was making himself equal to God. He claimed to be divinity. He claimed to be God's son. That's what freaked them out. And it's the same today, isn't it? It's the same exact thing today. Many people are fine with Jesus, the good man. If you tell people Jesus was a good man, your friends aren't going to be upset. 
People pretty much are unanimous that Jesus was a good man. No one denies that. And it's also pretty well accepted that he's a great teacher, right? It's pretty much recognizes everybody that he was a great teacher, the golden rule and all these things. People are really good with that. Every, that's pretty much recognized by everybody. Nobody really struggles with that in our culture. Even a prophet. Most would even stretch and say, yeah, he's a prophet, he's a good guy. I, they're okay with the prophet part. Even the Muslims believe that. Even your Muslim friends believe he's a prophet. That's pretty well accepted. But just don't say he was the divine son of God. Don't say he was the one and only son of God. Because once you say that, you have now crossed a line. Right? You've crossed the line in the USA today. But here's the thing. You have to cross that line. Because that's not an option that Jesus has left us. That he's just a good guy, or he's a good teacher, or he's even a prophet. He hasn't left us that option because he claimed to be the son of God. He claimed to be. So you, you can't say he's a good guy, but not the son of God. Because he claimed it so clearly. That's why they killed him. That's why he allowed himself to be crucified. And so he could resurrect from the dead, come back alive. As C.S. Lewis so famously pointed out in Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis, one of the most brilliant minds in England of his time, uh, wrote the Chronicles of Narnia and all that. But before he wrote Chronicles of Narnia and all these other books, wrote Mere Christianity, which I'm going to... Read a quote here in just a minute. Before that, he was a very strong atheist. He was one of these super intellectual atheist guys who did not believe in God, didn't believe in Jesus, didn't believe in the Bible. And God got to him. And listen to this quote. This is what kind of got to C.S. Lewis. He says in Mere Christianity, he says, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. That I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Josh McDowell, another atheist, who's still alive, he was so upset about Christianity, he got a hold of the Bible, and he says, I'm going to disprove this thing. Brilliant, Josh McDowell, brilliant man. I'm going to solve this once and for all. I'm going to disprove the Bible and write a big book about it. Since that time, he's written lots of good big books. <laughs> Evidence that demands a verdict, showing how the Bible has to be true. 
in his attempt to disprove the Bible, he became a Christian. Because he came to the same conclusion that C.S. Lewis did. And he started out by writing a little book called More Than a Carpenter. It's on our back table. It's on our shelf all the time. I got a whole box of them. I'll bring them some more next week. But in More Than a Carpenter, this little beautiful little book, he takes C.S. Lewis's argument and he puts it into a little easy to remember capsule called Lord, Liar, or Lunatic. Lord, Liar, or Lunatic. And he says that Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. So you can't just call him a good man or a good teacher, a great teacher. Because if he claimed to be the Son of God, then he's, he's either a liar or a lunatic or the Lord. You can't call him a good man but not the Lord because that would make him a liar. Or a great teacher but not the Lord because that would make him a lunatic. He's either... The, he's either a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord. Those are the, that, that's, there's no other option. What about you? Jesus is talking to us. What about you? What about us? The vital question, what do we believe about Jesus? Because what we believe about Jesus makes all the difference in this world and the next one. Are you prepared to call Jesus a liar? Are you prepared to call Jesus a lunatic? If you are, that's, that's your option. We all have that option, don't we? But if you're not prepared to do that, your only option is Lord. This is the only option. But that recognition, if, if that recognition also demands a decision, Will you put your faith in him as Lord or reject him as Lord? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But he also says a few verses later in verse 36, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Will we put our faith in Jesus or reject him? And maybe you're here and you're already a Christian. You've already put your faith in Christ. Are we sharing this amazing truth? It's Christmas time here. Are we sharing this amazing truth? Do we realize that Nothing else really matters? Really? Doesn't really matter who wins the Eagles game, does it? Meaningless. Doesn't really matter if the Sixers lose 20 in a row or all 82 games. Doesn't really matter how much money we make. Everything is nothing compared to sharing this amazing truth. And it's not a secret anymore. Jesus didn't let them tell him at this time it was a messianic secret. It's not a secret anymore. Now it's become the great commission. 
Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, to the apostles, came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The last words of Christ before he, before he ascended up into heaven, after his resurrection, the last words before he ascended back up into heaven were these words. Are we studying the word and getting to know the word so that we can, first of all, get to know God better? That's the whole point of it, getting close to Jesus. But also so that we can share the truth in love. Can we share this with people? Because most people are not going to read the Bible. The only Bible they're going to read is us, our life, and, and us sharing that with them. And, and are we equipping ourselves so that we can answer the tough questions that, that people ask? I know Chuck with the Streetlight Ministries trains people with, in apologetics, how to talk to people with the tough questions. And, and John and Mary Alta train people on how to share the faith, all different evangelistic techniques, sharing the faith. Are we getting equipped for that? Or go on the internet. You just go on the internet and there's a thousand different ways to, to share your faith and videos and, and training stuff. Are we, are we doing that? Are, as we run into people and they ask hard questions, are we, we talk to them about their faith, what their faith is? Are we taking that and using that to spark us to learn a lot about, about God's word and how to share that? I know a lot about in my Bible at home, my, my, my main Bible. I have at the back a whole bunch of stuff about Mormons and how all the verses that has to do with Mormonism. Why? Because I ran into some Mormons and they started telling me about their, their faith and the Book of Mormon and, and the Jesus they worshiped, which was a very different Jesus than, than I know in the Bible. And, and I went home and, and, and I was like, I want to know how I can talk to a Mormon. And I went through the Bible and I came up with all these verses that I now, when I talk to a Mormon, I'm able to show them, you don't worship the real Jesus, you worship a fake Jesus. You're not another denomination, it's a cult. And your work, depending on a work salvation, not, not salvation by faith, but a work salvation. And I'm able to tell them that. Speak the truth in love. I'm able to tell them that because I've studied it. And I'm ready for it. Same with the Jehovah Witnesses came to my door. And, you know, and they started talking to me about all the stuff and that and this and that. And, and, I, and I, because of that, I went and got my Greek Bible. And I started really studying the different parts of the Greek and all different, different things that, that I could talk to them. You only have to know a little teeny bit to talk to a Jehovah Witness. You don't have to know a lot of Greek. When they start throwing Greek out, you only have to know a couple, couple, couple sentences, a couple words. That's all you need to know. They use that to, to intimidate you. I know because they came to the door and they said, well, in the Greek Bible it says blah, blah. And John 1, 1 in the Greek Bible says blah, blah. I said, okay, well, here, just a minute. I went and got my Greek Bible. I handed it to him. I said, here, here, show me that. They couldn't find the book of John in the Greek Bible. They had no idea how to read Greek. They've just been parroting something. And I'm not saying that to pick on them. I'm simply saying it doesn't take much to equip yourself to witness to a Jehovah Witness. And the same thing with, with our Mormon friends or, or even people who think they're Christian but they're depending on work salvation. They grow up and they, they, they're jumping through these religious rituals and rites and think they're going to heaven through works. It does, it's very, the reason I know how to witness those people is I've talked to them so much and got so many verses and equipped myself because that's what it takes to show them to speak the truth in love. Very, very important. Are we doing that? Are we witnessing? Are we sharing our faith? Are we speaking the truth of love? It's Christmas time. This is a great time to do it. 
It, it's to share the gift of Jesus Christ. Give them a gospel of John at Christmas. You know, give, uh, give them, when you give them a Christmas card, put a, a, a good track. Doesn't have to be a, one of the corny ones, but there's some good ones. You know who you're right sending them to. The book, More Than a Carpenter, we have a bunch on the table out there. Give that to people as a Christmas gift. Order them, start giving them out. It's, it's powerful. It's a little short book, 100 pages, easy to understand. To give that out. And to pray for people as the Holy Spirit leads, say, who should I give this to? Don't just be in people's face, but God, who? Who are you leading me to, to, to witness to? Who are you leading me to share with? It, it's got to be in the Spirit. It's got to be the leading of the Holy Spirit to do that. Let's pray. How is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? How is the Spirit of Jesus Christ talking to us this morning? Maybe he's putting somebody on your heart and mind right now to share the love of Christ, to speak the truth in love. To help someone take another step forward in their faith. To... to have a deeper relationship with someone because God is leading you to do that so that you can help them find Christ. Maybe someone that God is leading you to tell your story to and you've been afraid to tell your story because there's some shame involved and some things you've done in the past, but, but God is leading you to share your struggles with someone so that they could find the freedom in Christ that we are finding day by day. While we're praying about that, maybe you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus. But Jesus is asking you the same question. Who do you say I am? Are you prepared to call Jesus a liar? Or a lunatic? Because if you aren't, then we can only call him Lord. And that demands a decision. Will we reject him as Lord or accept him as Lord? Will we put our faith in Jesus, give our life to him as our Savior and Lord? Or say no to him. Maybe you're ready to take that step right now. Some of you are taking steps and it's a process. We've talked about that. The healing process and the salvation process. But maybe today you're ready to take that step. The step of faith. And you can do that right where you're sitting. Just talk to God. Just pray to him right now and say, God, I believe Jesus is your one and only son. 
I believe it. That he died on the cross for me, for my sin, for all the wrong I've ever done or ever will do. I believe that. And that he rose from the dead to, to give me a new life. I believe that. And I want to make him Lord of my life. I repent of sin. I turn away from the sin. I turn away from the old life. I, I ask you to help me with my struggles with sin. I'm putting my faith in Jesus. I turn away from sin and I am going to follow Jesus. If you've prayed that prayer of faith, the Holy Spirit has now come into you. The Spirit of Christ has now been sent into your heart and you will never be the same. You might still struggle. No, no, you will still struggle. <laughs> we all do. But you're going to have the Holy Spirit's conviction. You're going to have the Holy Spirit's power. And you're going to have a, a, the power to persevere through many, many spiritual struggles. I want to encourage you to let someone know if you've prayed that prayer of faith today. Maybe you came with a friend or family member, or maybe tell me on the way out, or fill out the card, or text me, email me, call me. Let someone know so we could be excited and, and help you in your new faith and in your new life in Christ. Father, I pray that every one of us would know Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. We know that salvation is a one-time prayer. It had, we're born again at one point. But we know that lordship is a constant battle in this life. We have to constantly surrender to you and repent and turn to you and ask you to forgive us and, and reestablish clear out our life, whatever's coming between us and our, our fellowship with you, Father. I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us and we would surrender to you every day as our Lord in every area of our life. Especially as we come to this Christmas season. That every reminder of Christmas would not be what present we're going to get, but would be a reminder of the present that Jesus has given us, this new life we have in Christ. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.